The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I need to update that, by the way. So it's really nice to be here uh, with all of you. Lots of familiar faces and lots of new faces for me, too. So Andrea uh, Fella normally uh, does this Thursday night group, but she is away and asked me if I would step in for her. So here I am. It's really nice to be here. And um, as I was reflecting on um, you know, what I might want to talk about tonight, um, <clears throat> I realized that um, what was coming up for me was so much busyness in my life, just so much busyness that I wasn't even um, aware was, you know, beginning to overtake me. And um, the and noticing the busyness, I couldn't help but notice the effect that all of that busyness had on my ability um, to be present, my ability to rest in presence. And um, actually, uh, the bottom line of that is uh, the ability to be mindful, just to simply be mindful of what um, is occurring in my direct experience because the busyness just distracts me. Um, and uh, in, in this way, I don't think I'm really any different than anyone that's sitting here in this room or anyone else who takes this practice up. We, um, we practice with great in- intention, sincere intention, I think, to um, begin to see uh, the way that the mind works, to be able to um, hopefully um, begin to discipline the mind a little bit and experience some sort of calmness and tranquility that comes from quieting the mind down and, and, and sort of moistening the heart, opening the heart up. Um, and then, um, you know, life gets in the way. <laughs> it just, it somehow shows up and our to-do list gets get longer and longer and we find ourselves running faster and faster trying to keep up. And um, we don't notice, or I'll speak from personal experience here, what I noticed in my reflection this afternoon or tonight was that I wasn't noticing what was really going on. I was only rushing and running to keep up with all of the tasks that were so important in my mind, that seemed so important, even though the moment I identified it as being important, something else important took its place, and then something else important took its place. And so the effect on all of that was to um, sort of uh, land me in a place where I had lost my connection with presence, even if only temporarily. Um, And I think this can happen very easily to any one of us. We just get so wound up in our activities and our duties and our responsibilities and the things that we think are important and that we should be doing. And we lose connection with our heart. And in that way, we lose connection to ourselves and obviously to other people as well. And we find ourselves in some sort of a a world that seems real, but um, upon closer examination, it's, it's just uh, <laughs> a rat race, more or less. So um, it got me to thinking about practice 
and um, how we practice, why we practice. I mean, some of the reasons why we practice are, are obvious. But um, how we practice and the different ways that we can um, use to uh, begin to train the mind, to begin to discipline the mind, to begin to slow ourselves down so that we can be present with things as they're actually arising and passing away. And so we have all these different techniques and methods to, um, that we're taught to um, use to focus our mind, our, you know, enhance our ability to be attentive and um, aware of what's happening. So we can, we can use the breath as an object of meditation, or we can use bodily sensations as a as the object of our meditation. We can use the sense of uh, this quality of Vedana, which is this feeling quality. And it's not so much the feelings of emotions, but the undertone of this quality of experience being either pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant or unpleasant. This, this experience of Vedana is a very useful um, meditative technique um, to to use, or object of meditation to to use, and um, and so these different methods that we might use. Another one is metta, and I want to talk a little bit more about metta and the Brahma Viharas in a bit. But I, I just want to be touching upon some of these things as as methodologies that we use to sort of rein the mind in, to begin to train and discipline the mind. Um, One of the things that uh, is very common for people, uh, especially when they, I won't say just for new meditators, because it's really not true, but it is especially true in the in the beginning when you're a, a newer meditator, that um, when we meet the place of the squeaky wheel or the place of suffering, place of contraction and contention, there's a tendency to try to get away from it or to resist it or to um, to do something to make it go away. I guess that's resisting. But um, this can actually become a very skillful way to practice. You can use this as a legitimate object of meditation, just as legitimate as the breath itself. So by turning and being with even just the feeling of contraction or the feeling of something just being off-center or out of, out of sync somehow. We don't have to figure out what it is. All we have to do is, is learn how to sit still long enough to acknowledge that that place actually is what our... That, experience is what we're actually feeling in that particular moment. And the acknowledgement of the, the contraction or the con- place of contention is in a funny way an act of self-compassion. It's an act of acknowledging what's really happening rather than pushing against it or trying to push it away. You see what I, does this make sense? Because when, when we do this pushing, which is so natural, who wants to be with this place that hurts? But by running away from it, denying or pushing against it, we are enslaved by it. If, if we can except that by just turning and looking at it, 
without the need to make it go away, to change, to do anything. You see, we don't even have to know what it is other than the fact that it doesn't feel good, it hurts. We can look at this quality of Vedana. That's where I'm really trying to go back to this quality of Vedana. This is a very skillful way into what's really going on and to helping us see what's really arising. Because as we practice, we begin to notice that cause and effect are always at play in phenomenal experience. And what happens for many of us, especially when we start to get busy, you know, is that we have our experiences, but we tend to look at the effect and try either to get more of that or to push it away if we don't like it, you see. And we can never change things if we can't get to the root of them, to the cause. But as long as we're stuck (laughs) in the effect, we're sort of lost. And by turning to this place that may feel a little bit tight or contracted inside, I'm, I'm going to come back to that, we can begin to find our center again. We can begin to ground ourselves and we can begin to be with what's actually happening rather than what we're telling ourselves about what's happening in our experience. Does this make sense? It makes sense to me, but I'm not sure (laughs) I'm communicating it clearly. I just came off of a retreat and I... (laughs) went through all of these experiences quite deeply myself. And um, so part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to share my retreat experience with you tonight. Um, so, <clears throat> so these methods of, of practice, these methods of meditation... Uh, using the breath, using bodily sensations or mindfulness of the body, using the place of suffering, using dukkha itself as an object of meditation. Or we could also, um, we can also use in our tool bag the uh, practices of the Brahma Viharas, the, the practices of loving kindness, of compassion, of, mud, of uh, sympathetic joy or mudita, and the equanimity practices. And these are beautiful, beautiful practices and actual spiritual perfections that um, are we're encouraged to cultivate these in a direct and, and um, active way. Um, so a lot of people really find the Brahma Viharas as a way into practice, as a way into um, deepening their experience with practice. Um, other people find those practices a little bit hard. When I began to practice a number of years ago, I didn't really take to the practice of metta very um, naturally. It, it didn't come so naturally to me. And um, the way that it was taught to me, or the way that I heard the teachings, was to take... Um, you know, phrases uh, which are used in this practice, like may I be happy, may I be free from suffering, so on and so forth, to take these phrases and to, to say these phrases. And I thought that that's what metta practice was. And that's a part of it, and, and it's an important part of it. But actually, um, the practice of metta is the cultivation of this sense of genuine friendliness and the wish for well-being in your heart for yourself 
and for other people as well. And when we take on the, these Brahma-vihara practices, we oftentimes begin with the self <clears throat> or begin with, uh, uh, you know, a, a loved one, someone that we revere, a teacher or somebody like the Dalai Lama or something, some, some being like that. And then we move through different categories until we encompass all beings everywhere. Um, so what the practice does, it's in a way metta practice can be used as a concentration practice because it just keeps you coming back to this sense, these qualities of kindness, of genuine wishing for someone else's well-being and their happiness or for, for your own well-being and happiness. It just keeps bringing you back, or if you're doing compassion practice, the wish for, for someone to be relieved of their suffering or the wish for you yourself to be relieved of, of suffering. You just keep coming back to this over and over and over again. And... Um, And you can, you can take this on in a way that begins to, uh, you begin to feel it in your heart. You begin to feel it in your, your um, the way that you express yourself, the way that you are in your, in your daily experience. You begin to feel the transformation of this, these beautiful practices because um, they actually change, they change your brain. They change the way that you are in relationship to the rest of your life, to the whole of your life. And um, in doing so, they, you cultivate a quality that allows the mind to settle and to come to a place of deeper calmness and a sense of tranquility and a sense of openness or spaciousness will sometimes, um, you know, be, be the experience of, of, of people who are practicing this, these Brahma-viharas quite deeply. Um, but for the purposes of this talk tonight, what I'm wanting to do is say that this is another very skillful means in which to sort of set your meditation up to create within your minds and within the space of practicing whether it's formal practice on the cushion or whether it's daily life practice, to create an inner environment in which the mind actually can let go or you can let go. So all of these practices are bringing us to a place where the mind can settle down enough to let go of that which we're holding on to. To, to relinquish that which is obscuring us from being with our experience in a direct way. I'm going to let that <laughs> just settle for a minute. I'm not going to ask you whether that makes sense. I'm just going to let it settle for a minute. So <clears throat> this path of practice is a path that unfolds in a very 
natural and simple way if, if we allow it to express without getting ourselves in the middle of it, without getting in the way of what's actually going on. It's also a path that tends for most people to be gradual. So we have certain experiences, we have certain kinds of insights that occur to us um, in our daily life experience as well as in our formal practice. And, um, and it seems like we're understanding things at a deeper level. And then suddenly life gets in the way and everything that we thought we knew, we, it's, we suddenly, it's suddenly called into doubt. We, do we know anything? Have we learned anything? So I just sat this lovely long monastic retreat and <laughs> it was like I've been meditating for years and I sat down to meditate and this is in the spirit of absolute transparency. The thought bubble over this person's head was, my God, all these years and you can't follow the breath for five breaths. You see, it was so humbling and so interesting to see that. And so that thought, which came for whatever reason, you know, that was the effect. That wasn't the cause. And all I saw was the effect, this judgment, you see. But in that judgment, there was such a well to be, you know, (laughs) dipped down into for insight and exploration. You see, there there was an attitude there that, had a quality that was um, really distinctly unfriendly, you see. And because I've had some experience on the cushion, instead of like getting bitten by it and going with that, I was able to catch it before it, it seduced me and then took me completely off track. And then I would have been just spinning and, you know, you're never going to get this, it's this and it's, you know, self-doubt, self-criticism, self-hatred, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to begin to, to see that this point of suffering, this place of, of contraction or contention, was in fact a gateway for practice. By just turning and being with, oh, this is judgment, this really hurts, this doesn't feel good. This is, this is a place where, where compassion can change everything. Everything can change because because Compassion, mindfulness might recognize that something is happening, that, <laughs> that it hurts, but it might not be enough to just to deal with that place of hurt. It might be, but for some people it might not be. And, and while the example that I've just given you isn't, a, isn't one of like a serious challenge necessarily, it was a place of pain for me because I didn't want that experience. I wanted to be calm and settled and go into a deep state of of, uh, meditative absorption. And that just wasn't happening, you see. But by being with the truth of the fact of what my experience was, I began to see the possibility and 
actually the experience of recognizing how these methods of practice bring us to a realization of the nature of experience being impermanent, suffering, and non-self, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Because the pain I was feeling, or the place of contention that was there, was not solid. It didn't, it wasn't lasting. It was arising, abiding, and then changing and passing away and something else was coming. And, and so what started off as an obscuration and a difficulty actually turned into a direct knowing of this quality of metta and compassion. It was, it was through being willing to meet this experience with compassion that I could relax into my retreat and allow things to just unfold in a very natural way. And what happened, although I didn't mean to get off on what happens to me personally, but I, since I'm out on that limb, I'll, I'll continue. What happened was that um, there was actual insight into the way the busy mind worked. I, I saw things that I had never seen before. Although they seem like they sh- I should have noticed it, I, I saw habits of mind, habits of thinking um, that were simple habits of distraction. Um, they weren't necessarily things that were going to make me depressed or angry or anything like that. It wasn't like something that was leading to a sort of a deeper mind state, but it was just habits of mind that pulled me in one direction or another and literally distracted me from, from slowing down and relaxing into being present. And those habits were, you know, one could say, well, this was just restlessness, the hindrance of restlessness arising. And it was, but... Um, the experience was one of seeing it directly, and in the seeing, uh, it it went away. <laughs> the restlessness went away, and and the discovery was that I wasn't doing, I didn't have to do anything other than to ex- accept the restlessness or just to. St- be with the restlessness and see it, rather than to reject it and resist it the way that, that I would normally do when I said, oh my God, I've, I've been meditating for years and I don't know how to meditate. Does this make... Okay, I'm seeing some recognition here. Good. Good. <laughs> Does anyone have a question? <laughs> Yes. I um, I enjoy being busy, and especially now with the holidays, I love the baking, and I like you know just the. The busy, festive chores of the household, but I really wear myself out. And by six o'clock, I've done everything. Like I've meditated, I've I've made the cookies, 
everything's done. And, um, and then I feel the sense of just let down. Like, I'm just too tired to look at the long evening ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the TV is terrible, and my mind doesn't like commercial interruptions, and it, it agitates me, and I begin to feel resentment that here I've worked so hard, and what is it all about if I, if my, when, I come, when it comes to being relaxed and satisfied, I can't get there. And it's an unfriendly voice, you know, criti- you know saying, what is this? And yet, um, I really have no idea what to do with myself, and I have no idea how to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Do, I, do you understand that? I didn't want to interrupt you. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> welcome to the human race. Okay. Um, I don't have the answer to to the situation that you find yourself in. I I can tell you that it's not an uncommon experience that you're having. Um, many many people. Uh, have this experience. I'm sure that almost anyone can understand it. Um, I would really encourage you to uh, take up the practice of loving-kindness and compassion practice and to offer yourself um, to do it for yourself, to take up a self-compassion practice, um, to recognize that this is difficult for you and that this is, you can even take you out of the equation. This is just a difficult experience to have. And um, wish yourself some kindness. Listen to the, the tone of the voice with which you speak to yourself and um, try to discern what kind of an attitude is underneath that tone of voice, and then consciously change it to a friendly attitude. And, um, you know, the simple practices, you can take up one simple practice and of doing something for someone else, um, and then, and then do it, and and in those uh, those moments that are difficult, then you can reflect on what it felt like when you did this practice. That sense of gladness and that sense of open heartedness, and you can reflect on that as an act of self compassion, as a way to meet that place of suffering. So part of what I was trying to do in, in my earlier talk here was to point out that we have these habits of mind that bring us certain kinds of experiences And when we look and see that these are habits, we can also see that there are other habits that we can cultivate and develop, which, you know, are just as powerful in the opposite direction. So if we have habits of mind that distract us and are restless, or that take us into places of darkness and depression, we can cultivate habits that gladden the heart and that fill us with a sense of purpose and um, you know, a sense of spaciousness and generosity. I have a, a, a monastic teacher, Ajahn Pasano, who reminds 
people all the time, and he reminds me personally all the time, to reflect on those um, qualities within myself and those actions that I've experienced or shared uh, with other people that are, you know, really beneficial and that make me feel good. So, because this is a great support for practice, we tend to think about the things that um, are wrong. That's what we tend to do. So, you know, it's like you can, <laughs> you can write an email and everything is perfect and then you've got one typo in it and then it's like, oh God, I sent that email. You know? And it's the one typo that, that stands out. You see, why, do, why does the mind fixate on the mistake, the thing that's wrong? But it does. It seems to do. This is part of being a human being. You see, but um, so in answer to your question, I would encourage you to um, uh, practice uh, loving kindness and especially self-compassion and to um, do a, a, a generosity practice and then use it as a way to reflect on, on uh, you know, recognizing that feeling of gladness and of goodness. You see, that's the whole thing. With metta practice, you come to recognize what that feeling of unconditional loving kindness is. It's the recognition of that feeling. It's not the repetition of the phrase. The phrases help you get to this feeling. I was with uh, one of the teachers out at Spirit Rock one night, and uh, I was telling her, this was a while ago, this meta business I just don't get. And she said, uh-huh, yes. And we happened to walk out of uh, my office. I, I manage retreats out there now. And uh, we were standing on the stop, top of this, the, the, a staircase together, and it was a beautiful, clear night, and there was a gorgeous full moon. And she said, wow, look at the moon. And so I, I looked up at the moon, and it was a beautiful night, and she said, what does that make you feel like? And I said, it's beautiful, it feels, it's gorgeous. And, she, and then she turned to me and smiled, and she said, that's metta. You know, don't make a big deal, <laughs> that's metta. You, as long as you can connect with it in a direct way. And I loved it, because it was so, we complicate practice, or minds like mine complicate practice. <laughs> so, so, are there any other questions? Um, I wanted to just let you know that your uh, talk tonight helped me realize a, an act of compassion I had towards myself yesterday that I think saved me probably at least three hours of sleep last night. That gave you what? Uh, an additional three hours of sleep last night. Lovely. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. But um, I was hoping to ask you to speak a little bit more about, I believe it's Vendana, the idea. About what? I didn't hear. Just. Vedana. 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 Vedana and the concept of the pleasant, the unpleasant, mm -hmm. or neither. Sure. So uh, Vedana is a really useful way to practice, um, or it's a skillful means. And basically, whatever experience we're having has a certain feeling tone to it. And in Buddhism, <laughs> the three possibilities are that it's either a pleasant feeling tone, an unpleasant feeling tone, or a neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling tone. And so a lot of times 
when we, especially if you're meditating, and we get caught by things, we don't know what's actually happening, and then we find ourselves pulled in one direction or pulled in another direction. And then we wake up and we realize, wow, I don't know what's happening. You see? It's very easy to say, well, what does this feel like? Does this feel pleasant? Does this feel unpleasant? Does this feel neither pleasant nor unpleasant? It's a way to reground ourselves, but it's also a very, very useful way to begin to um, uh, see what is, is that's actually happening, arising in our experience at the point of its arising, rather than as a reflection back on something. So to be with it at the moment of arising is, is how it... So <clears throat> it's a very useful tool, especially when... Um, well, I found it useful, especially when I'm challenged in my meditation. If something is... Um, you know, if I'm resisting something and I'm not really aware that I'm resisting it. And, uh, you know, there's a st- uh, like a story is going on and I think I've been meditated so many years I'm beyond stories and, and then I find myself caught in a story and it's like, oh boy, <laughs> this is humbling. But Vedana is a beautiful practice in which to, all you have to do is, what does this feel like? You see? What does this feel like? And this really helps you to say, um, when, when you use like dukkha as an object of meditation, the suffering, and I keep doing this because for me it feels like the heart is clamping down, closing down, I'm guarding myself, I'm guarding something, I'm guarding a self that's not there. So that feels distinctly unpleasant. And all I have to do is recognize this is unpleasant for me to begin to be willing to get closer to what's actually happening. Does this, does this make sense? Are you understanding how to use it? Or yeah, I, I think so. I think the way I'm understanding it is you have an experience maybe out here and instead of trying to deal with that head on, it's going down to what's really uh, creating that experience at the fundamental level and then trying to start from there. Great. And so um, <clears throat> I didn't pay this woman, but <laughs> this is like we generally get stuck in the effect and we don't know what's the cause because it, it's unpleasant to get close to that which is unpleasant. You see, but it's only by doing that that we can get through it. It's it's like that with loss or grief. You know, who people don't want to be with their grief. It's it's very difficult to be with grief, and so we have all sorts of ways to um, that we deal with the, these things that are not actually touching it directly, and it's only by turning and touching it that it can be processed and let go of. And, it's, it's, and so this is a way to do it. It's a very safe way because you begin to see that phenomena is just phenomena. Experience is just experience. It's not us. It becomes a problem when we infuse a sense of identity into the experience. I am a good meditator. I am a bad meditator. I am a nice person. I am a angry person. I am a this. I am a that. Whenever we, inf- you know, inject that I in there, you can be sure we're going to suffer. And so this is a way that we can begin to see just experience as experience. This is a way we begin to see the three characteristics in experience. We begin to see um, the state of our own mind. And in that, we begin to see, even in something like the breath. You see, the breath, we breathe in, 
And then we breathe out and we begin to see, you know, impermanence is even, <laughs> all we have to do is look at the breath and we can, we can recognize impermanence. But the, 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 the direct seeing of something like impermanence is different than to think, think about it. Like we can all read impermanence. We know that things change, right? But when you directly experience change, even if it's in the most ordinary way, it's a profound insight and something that can gladden the heart. You can reflect upon that in a way that allows you to... Um, you know, to feel joy, to feel happiness. You see, anything that, any thought or action or word that creates this is taking us in the wrong direction. Any thought, word, or action that opens us up and makes us feel connected is taking us in the right direction, if there's a right and wrong direction. But you can just know that whenever, whenever there's suffering, whenever there's, and there is for all of us all the time, uh, but whenever there is that state, you know, it can be a, like a little warning sign, pay attention here. Pay attention here. Don't just ignore this. Don't run away from this. Don't push against it. Don't deny it. Just, you know, what is it? I don't know what it is, but, but it doesn't feel good. That I do know, you see. And sometimes just that recognition itself, just that acknowledgement itself is an act of self-compassion. You see, because compassion doesn't, need the situation to be different than it is. It doesn't insist upon it being different than it is. It holds the light and the dark, the difficult and the easy. It holds it all. It's both and. And that allowing leads to this quality of equanimity which is to be in relationship with your experience in a way that doesn't knock you off center. It doesn't mean that everything is just equanimous and you don't care about anything. It's just everything is neutral. It, it means that your relationship with things is such that you're not disturbed or you're less disturbed. We become less and less disturbed as we practice more. It, does, does that help in terms of how to use Vedana? I, I don't know if anyone else has an idea <laughs> that they want to share on that. But that's, that's how I've learned to use it. To just take your, especially when the mind is like not settled. You can just say, oh, well, what's going, what is, okay, I don't know what's going on, but what does it feel like? And that feeling brings you back into the body. Anything that brings you back to the present moment will begin to ground you, and that allows the mind to settle. And a common mistake that we make is to think that we're going to be able to meditate, just sit down and meditate. But we have to prepare the mind. We have to prepare an environment. You know, you can't plant a garden by just throwing the seeds out there. You have to, you know, you have to prepare the ground. And so every time we sit to meditate, it's a good idea to just recognize that we're moving from one state of awareness to a different state of awareness and to just check in and just see, oh, what does that feel like? When, when in our experience of meditating, when we spin off and we start to ruminate about something and then we realize that we're doing that, check into what that feels like and what attitude you have towards that experience 
and then check into what it feels like by being aware of it, because it's two different things entirely. And this is how you begin to become more and more attuned to practicing in a, in a deeper way. And also, um, this allows you the very real freedom of your own experience being enough. You don't have to have anyone else's experience. You don't have to be anything other than who you are. And you don't have to reject your experience as being wrong. You see, it's like what I mentioned about, (laughs) I went on retreat, I sat down and my mind was restless, I was exhausted, and I couldn't concentrate for more than five breaths maybe a few more, but anyway. That could have just spun me out, you see. But by allowing that experience as something legitimate, as real, that was my experience. So instead of like running away from it, just to turn and say, okay, I don't know what's going on, but this feels shitty. (laughs) Excuse my language, you see. And it's also, you know, it makes you happy. It's like what you would do for a good friend. You can be a friend to yourself. So those are some of my thoughts. I know that I, I went way around the mulberry bush tonight, but I, I hope that some of it was useful. And um, if, if it was, great. And if it wasn't, you can... Always find that round file and (laughs) take appropriate action. It was very nice to be here with you all, and um, I wish you a happy holiday season. Yeah, it's nice to see old friends again.